Welcome to the Jalt Listening Podcast. Hear us out. So today we're joined by Stuart McLean, who's going to be talking to us a little bit about research methodology and also how we can link that a little bit to listening and reading research. So good afternoon, Stuart. How are you today? Good afternoon. Not so, as happy as you. Sorry? Not as happy as you, but that's because you're very, very happy. And I'm... <laughs> I try to be. I try to be. So um, thank you for joining us today in, in talking to us about a very, very important topic in terms of research methodology, which covers a lot of areas in teaching. So um, if we link that to listening or maybe the receptive skills more specifically, what kind of methodology are we looking at? Um, at the moment, lots of research is looking at incidental vocabulary learning. Uh, I think it's very important also. I just think maybe if we want to put forward the best case possible for incidental vocabulary learning from listening or from viewing, then we should try to make the methodology as good as possible. Because to, to link this research into what's happening in the classroom, if we want to convince our colleagues or department heads or parents, maybe, that listening to something or viewing something is actually helping their students, we want the best possible research. So I think something I see in research often is, let's say we have listening research, listening's in the title. But for example, you're, you run the listening SIG and we have a listening SIG because listening is different from reading. And in research, if we wanna measure listening ability, we wanna give them a reading test. So then what, the kind of logical jump that I find difficult to make then is if we want to measure someone's vocabulary level in order to argue that this listening material or viewing material is lexically appropriate, it doesn't guarantee comprehension, just research suggests that the difficulty of the vocabulary doesn't inhibit comprehension. If we want to say that because you know this many words or this level of vocabulary, you should be able to comprehend listening material, Logically, for me, we should be using a listening vocabulary test and not a read vocabulary test. So generally speaking, as teachers, should we be looking at the lexical level of listening text and even reading text when we're using them in class when we teach our students? How important is that? It depends if we, it depends if we think the four strands are important or not. If we think the four strands are important, then we want to ensure that at least 25% of the time they spend is on meaning-focused input. So if we take that seriously, half of that input would then be read and half of that input would be maybe listened to or viewed. And Nation very clearly says 98% of the tokens within the material. So if you wanna have confidence, you can't ensure, if you wanna have confidence that your learners know 98% of the tokens within the listening or viewing material, research would suggest we should be using a listening test because there's, there's research out there by Milton and Hopkins, Uchi, Hala and Harada, uh, Mizumoto-sensei and Shimamoto, uh, my, Brandon Kramer and myself. And they show that there's a significant difference between students reading vocabulary ability and their listening vocabulary ability. And of course their listening vocabulary ability is generally lower significantly than the reading vocabulary ability. So tell us a bit more then, if there, if there is such a discrepancy, how do we find out more about how much someone knows about listening? About listening or listening vocabulary? 
about listening and maybe using the vocabulary to understand their level in class? What can we do? Uh, you would give them logically a listening vocabulary levels test. Now, of course, I published a listening or I co-published a, a listening vocabulary levels test with Kramer and Begler. So it might sound like I'm just trying to promote my test, but um, the test which I co-authored has its issues. Uh, I would avoid a multiple choice format because of course guessing will inflate scores and the research suggests that a meaning recall or meaning recall knowledge better correlates with listening ability than meaning recognition. Meaning recognition is basically just a technical term for multiple choice. So there's a paper by Zhang and Zhang in Language Teaching Research 2020, and they correlated, they, they, it's a meta-analysis, so you have the advantage of it not just being a one-off fluke result. It's a meta-analysis, they took a number of papers and they looked at the correlation between meaning recall and listening ability and meaning recognition, multiple choice, and listening ability. And the correlation between meaning recall, meaning recall being a L2 to L1 translation often, is stronger than multiple choice. And if you think about it logically, it makes sense because when our students are listening, when they reach a word they don't know, there aren't four magic options floating in the air from, from which they choose the meaning. The, the issue is we don't use meaning recall, really meaning recall tests often because they're difficult to mark. So an example test perhaps would be to use something like translation in, in terms of figuring out how much our students do know? Basically, yeah. So you could take, you could easily make a test yourself or there are tests out there. You could, uh, let's say you're looking at levels. I would avoid 1000 word levels in Japan because 1000 words for some of our students is their entire universe. So I'd, I'd start I'd look I'd use 500 word levels especially for listening because it's more difficult so take the first 500 words from a frequency based list from a corpus maybe NGSL and randomly select 30 words and the students translate those and if they get 98 percent correct on the translations then they demonstrated knowledge of the first 500 words of English now um, if you do 30 questions per band, and let's say you do the first five, six, 500 word bands, you've got a very long test, yeah? But the truth is we know our students pretty well. And we're not teaching classes where one student has mastered the first 500 words and another has mastered the first 3,000 words. In truth, in Japan, very few students have mastered the first 2K. So because we know our students well, we could say, okay, my students have maybe are mastered in listening vocabulary, the first 500 or the first 1000 words. So we take 30 from the first 500 words of English, 30 words from the second 500 words of English. That's only a 60, uh, a 60 item test. We could put that into Google Forms or, the, or if you go to vocablevelest.org, there's listening tests there that are automatically marked. But if you use Google Forms, you get the students to translate the words, you download it into Excel, and you can very quickly mark translation data in Excel. The only, the only issue is you need knowledge of the L1. And it becomes more of an issue in fairness when you have multiple L1s in the classroom. But in truth, in Japan, if we're teaching Ryugakuse, generally their English is better than the Japanese students we're teaching in the same classroom. 
Well, let's get back to talking about research methodology a little bit then. So yeah, you've talked a little bit about how we can test and understand the students' vocab level in the classroom. What can we do from a, a research point of view to, to kind of use this as data in our own research? Well, a common thing we see when we're trying to promote uh, meaning-focused meaning input through listening or viewing, or recently through listening to lectures, is we would take the listening or viewing input, we run it for a profiler, and we establish that the first 2,000 words might cover 98% or 95% in the case of listening. Then researchers will give a vocabulary test for the first 2,000 words of English, and if they get 95% of those questions correct, it's considered that the lexical difficulty or the lexical load of that text is not too difficult. I think, it, I think if we follow the research, we should be using a listening levels test and not a read levels test. And then the other way I think we could improve the research is that you have research where we have um, incidental vocabulary learning through reading, incidental vocabulary learning through listening, incidental vocabulary learning through reading while listening. And, and maybe the texts or the, the contents are the same. So somebody reads a graded reader, or someone listens to the audio version of the graded reader, so it's identical, and then someone reads while listening. So it seems like a fair comparison, yeah? Yep. The problem is the pretest is read. The pretest is vocabulary which is read or read while listened to. There's no pure listening. And then the post-test and the delay post-test are read. So if you've only listened to the materials and then your post-test is a read vocabulary test, you're at a bit of a disadvantage, yeah? So that, that makes incidental vocabulary learning from listening look worse than it is. Now, I'm pro-incidental vocabulary learning through listening or that kind of practice. But at the same time, I'm not expecting huge gains. And I'm, I'm expecting fewer gains than from reading because students don't have time to go back and analyze context, etc. But if we give students listening treatment materials, but then our pre-test, post-test and delay, test, delay, delay tests are read vocabulary tests, we're not giving incidental vocabulary learning from listening a chance. So obviously I understand the, the value if you're only going to use listening to find out about a student's listening level. Um, could you tell us a little more about the listening vocabulary levels test? Does that use a lot more listening than reading in terms of the skills? In, in testing, we try to avoid measuring two constructs at the same time. So the... The Listening Vocabulary Levels Test, uh, published in 2015 by McLean Kramer, Brandon Kramer, and Dr. David Begler from Temple University, Japan. You listen to, for example, school, it's a big school, and the, um, the answer options is a multiple choice test, unfortunately. Uh, I, I'm not crashing. I wasn't right the first time. I made a mistake in the past, and I'm still learning. Krashen was lucky, he was perfect the first time and therefore he never needs to change. I'm not like that. So I made, I made a kind of mistake or I'm still learning in the past, I made a multiple choice test. 
And basically the answer options are in the learner's L1. Because if the, if the answer options are in the learner's L2, we're not sure if we're measuring listening vocabulary ability and or reading vocabulary ability. And it's especially an issue I would say in Japan, because let's say the target word is use, and then our answer options are in L2 English. Try defining use in L2 English without using use or utilize or words which are more difficult than use. So using the L1, I would argue is a good idea in red vocabulary tests, but it's essential in a listening vocabulary test because it's got listening in the title of the test. And we care about the learner's ability to listen to vocabulary, L2 vocabulary, not read L2 vocabulary. So you mentioned that multiple choice wouldn't be a, a good option on that test. What, what kind of changes um, would you envisage to make on a listening vocab levels test like that? Uh, so I need to be careful here. It's not a case of good or bad, unfortunately. And, and I, 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 I need to accept that maybe the way I talk about this, it makes multiple choice sound just bad. Everything comes down to purpose. So if you're just separating learners on their listening vocabulary ability, I would say, or reading vocabulary ability, I would say a multiple choice test is not too bad because you don't care about the actual score. You just care about the relative score. But in, in reading vocabulary and in listening vocabulary, when we get a correct answer on a test, we are assuming that they can employ that knowledge when listening or reading. Now, there's been a discussion about this recently in the research uh, in uh, SSLA, etc., and we cited uh, Dr. Stuart Webb, Norbert, Dr. Norbert Smith, Dr. Paul Nation, or Paul Nation, and they said, "Yeah, the tests they created were there to measure the type of vocabulary knowledge measured when reading, and it makes sense to the to the teacher giving the test and the student doing the test because they read the test." And similarly, if you make a listening test, you hope to measure the type of listening vocabulary knowledge that can be employed when listening. Therefore, although uh, in the past I created a multiple choice test, I would now say um, it's better if we can use a meaning recall test. So we would again present the learners with school, it's a big school. The instructions explain, you need to do some practice. Well, it's also a listening test, so you need to do some practice questions. And the students are told the word that you hear at the beginning of the sentence, you need to translate. So they hear school, it's a big school, and they write gakko. But in truth, they do other things. They, they write gakko o in Japan. They put a kind of o after the noun. So when you're marking, it's not that easy, but if you, like we have at vocablevelest.org, if you build an answer bank of very common answers, the automatically marked data turned out to be 98% similar to data marked by a human. And then it was 97.8% similar to data marked by a second human. So, a meaning recall test is not perfect. We've got kind of 2% difference between the humans and the, and the, let's say, the answer bank. But I would say the, the loss of 
If you do a meaning recall test, you might lose 2% like we did. But if you use a multiple choice test, you lose more because students are getting, students are guessing or they're, they might generally know the answer if they're presented with four options. But when we listen, you don't get four options. And in the classroom, I'd rather underestimate knowledge and overestimate coverage than overestimate knowledge and underestimate college coverage if we take the four strands seriously. Because the four strands, they 98%. So rather long. So I'm glad it's a podcast. People can listen a number of times. So do you have any final words or final messages for people wanting to perhaps research listening or think about using um, vocab measurements to understand their students' listening ability in class? What's your final message for them? I, I, I think listen to your question because you put it well. They want to research listening. They did. You didn't say reading. So therefore, if you want to know how vocabulary influences listening, you need to measure the type of vocabulary used when listening. And it's not reading. If, if you engage with the research, the research will say, if you wanna know about listening vocabulary used when listening, use a listening test or a test which is listened to. It's, it's, it's basic construct, uh, construct validity. All right, well, thank you very much for talking to us today about research methodology and also thinking a bit more about how we can measure our students' listening comprehension. Thank you. Thank you.